This podcast is from our Tabar Gathering 2019. For more information on Tabar, please go to our website, tabar-network.com. I'll just feel all your fear, Maggie, and live in it. <laughs> and carrying on, carry on not being able to breathe out the panic of it. Of course, that's not the end point, but it is the start point. So what would it take to have the courage to face our emotions? I think I've got another slide here. <laughs> I lose track of what's on the slide and what isn't, but yeah, it's up there. That's good. That's our starting point. So just to make this personal to you and not all my story, and because it's a small enough of us, I wonder if you can just think, what emotions have you felt genuinely in the last two weeks? Okay, and if you can, and this is a bit of a um, workshop for Christians, don't censor it, i.e. don't tell yourself you shouldn't have felt that. Don't put it into shame of, that's really bad to feel that, I wish I hadn't. This is a journey, okay? We're starting with just having the courage to name and face, yes, I have felt this thing. Then we'll move on to what we do about it. Could you please call out any emotions you have genuinely experienced in the last two weeks? And we're going to get some of the range of it up here. Do you fancy helping me write? Because hopefully we'll get lots. If you don't want to, somebody else can. (laughs) Looks like I don't have a very willing volunteer. (laughs) Sorry, I'll teach you to sit in front of me. (laughs) All spelling mistakes accepted, okay? Including from me. So, come on, call out for the two of us. Frustration, great. You can take that one. I'm looking for a dark colour so you can see it. What else? Shame. What else? Sorry? Fear. What? Hurt. Rejection. Stress. Anger. Anxiety. You're doing. I'll. You do anxiety. I'll do anger. You do compassion, I'll do excitement, teamwork. What else? Love, I'll do. What else? Yeah, you're welcome to put your own. Go for it, Tara. (laughs) You're feeling it right now? (laughs) Panic. I got that one. What else? Pain. Enthusiasm, relief, joy for you. Sorry. What else? Hope, insecurity. Anything else? You've genuinely felt in the last two weeks. Sorry? Afraid. Pride. Thanks. I did wonder if I should have an interpreter for my accent. (laughs) Thank you. Brilliant. So look, here we are. These are us. This is the starting point, is just naming what, what you've been facing. So you see, Buddhist spirituality, or my boss is Buddhist. He says it's not a religion. He says it's a philosophy. Um, which I kind of agree with. Buddhist meditation seeks to let go of all things and get to a place of nothingness. It seeks to empty. Christian spirituality is the opposite. It seeks to fill. So Christ became human and he took on emotions. That's what it means to be human. It's not just having a body the incarnation. It's not just that he had skin. He also had a human brain, and a human brain registers emotion. He would have felt the whole range of emotion, yet without sin, and we'll come to what that is, but he would have felt it. So Christ incarnated. He embraced and took on the whole range of human emotions, And you see, emotions are there to help us in life. They're there to honor what is important. 
If I didn't feel fear at my daughter facing that brain tumor, it would dishonor how important she is to me. It'd be horrible if I didn't feel that. Do you see that? It's not a bad thing. It honors what's good and important in life. And emotions are also there to heal. Emotions create disruption that lead us towards healing. Now, I know we can get stuck and then we don't get healed, but they are there to help us to honor what's important to heal, to grieve, to feel passion that engages us in society, engages us to be better human beings. They're there to bring energy to justice. You know, they are good. They're, they're, they're a gift. And yet we get afraid of our emotions. We repent of them. We try and dissociate from them. We try and push them in. So my question is, what courage would it take to allow the emotion to feel it and to connect with it to Christ? And that's, our, that's where the next step, isn't it? So I thought we might do a little meditation together, a meditation on our emotions, if that's okay. And so you know where we're going. This is not a emptying and just letting go. What this is, is a Christian meditation. So it will start with identifying an emotion that you currently are experiencing, facing it, not getting um, overwhelmed by it. And in the way I lead it, I'll, I'll try and make sure we don't get overwhelmed by it. And then inviting Christ in on it. So we're connecting the emotion and having... Yeah, bringing it before Christ. That's where I'm going to lead it. So if you're comfortable to follow with me on it, then I'm going to lead you in it um, because this is a workshop. This isn't me telling you what to think. This is us doing it together. So um, if you can, please put everything down so you're not holding anything. And first of all, just get yourself comfortable. It's usually best to put both feet firmly on the ground, so you're sitting straight, no twists in your body. And, you know, just take some deep breaths and start to relax your body. Let your hands rest gently on your lap. And start to bring your awareness inside, into yourself. There will always be distractions externally, that's fine. When you get a distraction, a noise or a thought, just let it pass and bring your awareness back inside your body. And it often helps just to focus on your breath to give you something to focus on instead of the distractions. So for a few minutes, just focus gently on your breathing. And when thoughts float past, let them pass and come back into focusing on your breathing. And now, allow your awareness to notice and accept without judgment the emotions you are currently carrying. Just notice them. Don't judge them. Just name them. Make no differentiation between positive and negative. There is light and shadow in everything.
And now, allow the Holy Spirit to direct you towards the one he is most interested in at the moment. And now let him name it. Let him name the emotion he's most interested in at the moment. What does he call it? And now allow yourself to feel it to feel its sensations in your body. Now notice the mindset of it, the script that comes with it in your head. And now let that mindset, that script, be like a car passing by and just let it pass and drop back into just being with the emotion and feeling it in your body. And now invite Jesus to come in. See him walking towards your emotion. And give him permission to connect however he wants. Watch what he does. Now listen to what he says. And when you're ready, come back into the room, holding that experience in your heart. Gently open your eyes. Stretch your arms a little. And if you feel comfortable to, gently turn to the person next to you or someone behind you and just share what you experienced when Jesus came in, what he said, what he did. Just like 30 seconds each, and then the other person share. Over to you.
And if the other person hasn't spoken yet, swap person so that you both get to share. Okay, just thank each other and let's come back together. So, journeying this, emotionally healthy spirituality has perspective. It allows God's truths to permeate our emotions. It starts with naming the emotion, facing it, not pushing it away. But then it has God's perspective. So God's perspective is not separate to our emotion. Remember, we're trying to get aligned, yeah, not be the clanging symbol. So our emotions are part of God's bigger journey which is always in the direction of healing and redemption, creating good out of everything. That's always the direction of God's journey. So it's kind of easy. You don't have to seek hearing from God. We're just told that in Scripture. So we know that as a bedrock. His emotions are always in the direction of healing and making good out of everything. So many Scriptures about that. Um, one of them is Romans 8, 28, that um, God works everything together for the good. It's not good at the beginning, but he always works it together for the good. So healthy emotions are real, but they don't fill us up because we also have God's perspective. There's space for God's emotions too. And his emotions can, and very often, are really different to my emotions about the same topic. Just like my fear with my daughter, actually, when I did that little meditation, his emotion was peace, the real opposite of mine. So there's space for both. And the membrane between the two is permeable when it's healthy emotions. Yeah, I'm not stuck in my fear and God's stuck in his peace. Actually, the membrane between the two is permeable. And so I imagine it a little bit like jars. And so I've done you a picture of it. You see, the unhealthy emotions are the small jar on the left. And I've picked grief as the emotion. It could be any emotion. That the that my emotion completely fills my jar. There's no space for God's emotion. That's when I'm overwhelmed by it. And we're not making that wrong. That's often the starting point. But it's certainly not where we we're trying to get to. Yeah? Then what we do is it may be that the emotion stays the same size. <laughs> Often we're trying to make the emotion less or get rid of it. But maybe sometimes the most healthy way is to make your jar bigger. Because maybe the emotion stays the same size. Maybe there's still just as much grief. It's two years on. But the jar's got bigger. And it's got bigger because it's encompassing God's perspective. God's emotions. And it can get even bigger. <laughs> And the membrane is permeable. In other words, what's in God's emotion can leak into mine. And so if you imagine his as a color and mine as a color, the two merge. And I get a new color. And I also step into his emotion, his peace, whatever it is he's offering to me. 
So healthy emotions always have in their DNA perspective. They don't consume us. There is more truth than just the emotion. You feel let down by someone, but there's more truth than just that you've been let down. So I wonder if you can just maybe turn to the person next to you. If that's too cheesy, then just say it to yourself. <laughs> but if you can do it, speaking it out, there's a power in speaking out. Pick one emotion that you've felt in the last two weeks. So maybe it's, I felt let down. And say to the person next to you, I have felt let down and, let me get my lines here, uh, there is more truth than just me being let down. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you don't know what that more truth is right now, but just turn to someone and say, I have felt X and there's more truth than me just feeling X. Okay, over to you. Okay. If you didn't get a chance to speak, just speak it out in your own heart now. I have felt X let down, and there's more truth than just me feeling let down. So Lamentations 3.22 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. We're not taken over by our emotion. It doesn't have to fill the jar. That's the wonderful thing. For his compassions never fail. His love, his compassion will never fail whatever your emotion is. 2 Corinthians 4.8, we are hard-pressed on every side but we are not crushed. We're perplexed, but we are not in despair. There's perspective. There is more. So let's practice this, God's bigger jar. You're just going to do this by yourself. So if you'd like to shut your eyes again. If you don't feel comfortable shutting your eyes, you can just look downwards and pick a spot on the carpet and look at that. And so I invite you, first of all, just quieten your heart. And now imagine God's jar being bigger than you, but you inside it. God's jar encompassing you, but with space, not squashing you containing and bigger. And in that safe space of his compassion never fails, bring your attention to whatever is currently your darkest emotion. So you're bringing your attention within God's space to whatever is your darkest current emotion. Without fear, because God's here, we can face it together. And now, having brought your attention to it, now shift your attention. Leave that emotion. It's still there. We're not pushing it out of the space. But bring your attention to God's emotion. Notice what God's emotion is around your issue. (coughs) 
And now imagine there is a membrane separating your emotion from his. See that membrane and see it as permeable. Things can pass through it. And now see God's emotion passing through and coming into your emotion. And take some deep breaths, breathing in God's emotion filling more of your jar. Breathe it in. And now see more of your emotion pouring into God's space. Just watch it pouring into God's space. And as you do so, notice your breath. And as you breathe in, breathe in God's emotion. And as you breathe out, breathe out your emotion pouring into his space. And now notice the circle of God's love, his compassion that circles all of this. His compassion never fails. And now notice how you feel in yourself right now. How do you feel in your body? What difference has happened? And as you gently reopen your eyes, bring those feelings that are good feelings and any shift, any difference, bring that back with you, back into life. And when you're ready, open your eyes and just wiggle a little, come back into the room. So perspective is what we've been working on. Perspective involves balance. It involves shifting state. <coughs> to experience something else. And you've just done one little exercise to help you do that. And there's lots of other ways in which you can shift state to experience something else. And that is emotionally healthy, to be able to shift state. Unhealthy emotions get stuck, sometimes for decades. Time doesn't always heal. That's an old myth. <laughs> sometimes it heals, but where there's real trauma, time doesn't heal. But shifting state does heal. And there's lots of different ways to shift state. You've just done one. Um, you will, anyone who's emotionally healthy, will have developed a whole repertoire of ways to shift state to help you get more perspective around your emotions. Some of those are just really practical. Some of them are very in your body because emotions are housed in our bodies. So tell me some of the things that you do to shift state that work for you. And we'll get them up on the flip chart because they can benefit other people 
who may not think of those things. <laughs> so what helps you shift state? I'll give you the first one for me, is listening to really uplifting music. Puts me in a whole different emotional state. Exercise, yes, that's really common to human beings. It shifts our state. Sorry? Martial arts, yeah. Now, sometimes we have to be careful with those because depending on the training on the martial arts, some martial arts are trained in tapping into spiritualities that we might not want to tap into as Christians. So I'm not going to put that one up there. But it is designed to shift state, partly because it's exercise and partly if people are trying to tap into a different spiritual state too. So we have to make our choices as to, you know, what we want to use. What else? Going outside, yes. Actually, just changing physical environment. So if you're outside going in, if you're inside going out... Pets, absolutely. Stroking, touch, all of that because emotions are stored in our physical bodies. Chocolate, yes. <laughs> My daughter, I, I don't think she'll mind you sharing, but she um, saw her OT two weeks ago. My daughter has gone through all this brain tumor stuff. And um, her OT was getting her to draw a little thing, a glass half full, half empty. And um, she had to write all the things that made her glass half full. It really helped her. And um, one of the things she put in there was chocolate. <laughs> and the other was garlic. <laughs> that makes life half full. Ice cream, yeah. Because <laughs> actually all of this touches our senses. So using our five senses, one of those is taste, is really good. Now, like with anything, you know, I sort of put a different comment on the martial arts. The same with eating. You know, it can be uplifting and also we can get addicted to it and do too much of it and then it becomes another problem. So it's about balance. But yes. <laughs> Holidaying. Yeah, relaxing. Prayer, definitely. And speaking in tongues helps us shift our conscious state of mind. If you've never prayed in tongues, come and find anyone you can see here who looks like they're doing it and ask them to pray for you because it's a wonderful release for emotionally healthy spirituality. And it's not, you know, God doesn't give it to some people and decide not to give it to others. That's rubbish. You know, God would love to give you the gift of tongues because it's a really emotionally healthy spiritual release and prayer outlet. Yeah, talking to people. Talking to someone who's empathic all helps us get a different perspective. So, comedy, yeah. Things that make us laugh are really healthy. Great. Shopping. <laughs> Retail therapy. <laughs> Writing, yeah, because it gets it out. Helps us to see it more clearly, the process of putting it into physical words. Painting, great. So any sort of art, again, it helps get it out. So I'm going to put externalize because it's anything that externalizes what's inside, either in literal words or in metaphors through um, art. All of that helps because what we're aiming at is for the emotion not to be stuck and static and filling our jar. We're aiming at being fluid, passing through. Yeah? Great. So get good at shifting state. Um, in all sorts of ways, and I encourage you to increase your repertoire of ways. You know, most of us have a few that we always go to. Another one is soaking in a bath, um, watching movies. Um, 
Expand your repertoire. Add a few more things. You've got some ideas there. Take one or two and think, I'm going to add that to be normal things I turn to over the course of this year. It is emotionally healthy. Great. And then the last thing I want in terms of big themes that we're going through, and then it should be time for questions, is I want to look at... So that was perspective, then it was shifting state. Now I want to look at the theme of responding, not reacting. I think is core to emotionally healthy spirituality. So healthy responses keep our... There's a part of our brain, and I've put it up on the slide to save me drawing it. There's a part of our brain called the amygdala. And you can, if you see here, that you've got the neocortex around the outside, and that does all of your complex, high-function thinking, your multiple thinking. Then you've got, I've got it in dark purple, the reptilian brain. That's your brain stem. That's the bit that does your unconscious thinking. The fact that I'm standing here and balancing and not falling over, that's my my brain stem dealing with that deals with loads of stuff we don't really think about and then I've put in blue there inside is the whole part of the brain that is called the limbic system and it deals with our emotions and right within that the little red bit almond shaped is something called the amygdala and the amygdala is there to protect us when we are under threat so when something that stimulates fear in us, rightly so, because we're under threat, it goes straight to the amygdala. It bypasses the neocortex that does the complicated thinking. Why would you want it to bypass your complicated thinking brain? You've got no time, exactly. If a terrorist walks in the door now, we do not want any of us writing an essay about the geopolitical, you know, sources behind terrorism. What do we want to do? Run? Yeah, and that's, in this it's called flight. If we can't run, what else could we do? Fight. And if we can't do either of those, what is the last option available? Freeze. So the amygdala does the three Fs to protect us, fight, flight, freeze. And it's there to protect us from harm, it's really healthy, we need it, we do it super fast to protect ourselves. It's a good thing. But it also has its challenges. <laughs> Can you guess what those challenges are? Yeah. Yeah, we can get stuck on a loop of the amygdala if we've been through a lot of trauma and it stays activated. It's only a good thing if it kicks in when the terrorist is here, but then once the police have sorted it out and we've got back home and we have a cup of tea, then our heart rate needs to go down and we need to be able to get calm again, then it's healthy. If it stays activated, because actually we never get feeling safe again, then it starts to become unhealthy. We get stuck in an amygdala hijack. And that's why we need to have techniques to calm our brain and train ourselves that we're safe again. The other challenge on the amygdala in our society, where, you know, this is created to protect us from real threat. And of course, we get real threat sometimes. The trouble is, a lot of the day, it's not real threat. A lot of the day, we're just working in an office or running the home or whatever you do, but our amygdala is still getting triggered. It's what I call ego threat. It's not real physical threat. It's a threat to our ego. It's a threat to, am I being rejected or am I not being liked or... Um, you know, all of that sort of psychological threat stuff. And then we get fight, flight, freeze. We start fighting against the person or avoiding them flight or shutting down when we're with them or getting over anxious. All of these F responses, 
when actually we're not under real body threat. Does that make sense? And that's what I mean when I say the difference between reacting and responding. Reacting is when the amygdala kicks in. It's great when we need it, but it's not great when actually it needs our complex thinking brain. You know, the leader of your church has said something and you go into reaction. Because it threatens something from your history that that person knows nothing about, <laughs> maybe. But you still get a fight response because you're protecting yourself because your amygdala's been triggered. They wonder what on earth is going on. They use the word just or only. All I said was X. I only said so-and-so. It was just a pass-away joke, you know? But for you, it triggered your amygdala and you went into reaction. So healthily emotional spirituality is to be able to stay in response, not reaction, unless, of course, it's a real threat and we need the reaction. Yeah? So I want to show you a little video that sums it up really brilliantly, um, which makes it much quick, quicker with the time we've got. So here we go. And it's using the concept of above and below the line. So it's saying... When we get triggered by our amygdalas, we go below the line, reaction. And generally speaking, we want to stay above the line, unless, of course, it's a real lion walking in the room. Yeah? So that's kind of what it's built around. Here we go. One question that conscious leaders ask themselves over and over is, where am I? To support leaders in locating themselves as they ask the question, where am I? We offer this tool, a line. A simple black line. At any moment, all leaders and all people are either above the line or below the line. Our location describes how we're being with what is occurring in our life right now. If we're above the line, we are open, curious, and committed to learning. If we are below the line, we are closed, defensive, and committed to being right. Stop right now and simply ask yourself, where am I? In this now moment, am I above the line? or below the line. Typically, when people are below the line, they believe certain things about the world. For example, they believe there is not enough. It could be that there's not enough money, or time, or space, or energy, or love. People below the line also believe that their story about the situation is right. People below the line also believe that there is a threat out there. Something or someone is threatening their desire for approval, control, or security. And people below the line see the situation as serious. The deeper below the line they are, the more serious things look. People below the line tend to behave certain ways as well. They tend to cling to an opinion, find fault and blame, gossip, explain, rationalize and justify, get overwhelmed, and avoid conflict or pursue conflict for the sake of winning. When people are above the line, they believe that learning and growing are more important than being right. They believe that all people and circumstances are their allies, here for their growth. They believe that from a distance, almost everything is funny. People above the line live in curiosity, listen deeply, speak unarguably, question all their beliefs, and live a life of play. Now, knowing what you know about being above or below the line, where are you? One thing to know as you consider this question, we are hardwired to go below the line. Literally, our brain is programmed to perceive threat, and when it does, a chemical cocktail courses through our veins, and we go below the line. This reaction was designed to help us survive in the presence of a real threat to our physical survival. An issue for modern day leaders is that often our brains can't tell the difference between a threat to our physical survival and a threat to our ego or identity. We react and get defensive when we experience a threat to our ego. So in many ways, being below the line is natural and normal. But when we are below the line, we're not in a state, literally brain state, of high creativity, collaboration, innovation, and relational connection. We're simply trying to survive. Leaders today can't thrive if they're in survival mode. So the first activity of conscious leadership is location, Location, location. In this now moment, where am I? 
telling ourselves and others the truth about our current location begins the great conversation. So a little visual summary, above and below the line. Location. Where are we at any point in time? Emotionally healthy spirituality is able to have self-awareness. Am I below the line where I get stuck? We talked about that. Where I become victim, where I go into judgment, where it's about blame. Everything's always external. The blame is out there rather than taking responsibility for our own reactions and responses. It's about scarcity. It's about failure. It's about the problem. Whereas if we can shift above the line, then instead of being problem-orientated, we're solution-orientated. Instead of it being about what we lack, scarcity, it's about what we have. How's my glass half full? How am I blessed by chocolate and garlic? <laughs> Rather than being in blame, we're able take responsibility, literally our ability to respond. Rather than being at effect, we are at cause. Rather than being in judgment, we're in acceptance. And so it goes on. We have freedom to choose. Doesn't make the circumstance great. Of course it doesn't. But it shifts our response to it. And that is emotionally healthy spirituality. And having God with us, filling our jar, with always working everything together for the good, makes it so much easier to make sense of choosing to go above the line. So I'm going to stop there so we've got some time for questions. So why don't you just turn to the person next to you and share... One thing that you got out of this, hopefully there is one. If there isn't, be honest and tell them there isn't. <laughs> Just don't tell me. Um, <laughs> if these questions help you, what have I learned about myself today that will allow me to become an even stronger leader or person? And with that new learning and letting go of my fears and limiting beliefs, what possibilities can I now create? If those questions help, use them. You may want to take them away to reflect on. Um, and also just chat for a minute. Is there anything that you're left curious about? And then I can take some questions. And also, even if I don't answer your curiosity, at least you've got clear as to what you want to take out and find out more about. So a little chat amongst yourselves. So any questions? Yes. Okay, hold on. I'm going to bring this to you. So, yes, I found myself in the above and below the line. Some things I was above and some things I was below. Like, you know, in some of the wee boxes, I would have thought, yeah, I'm more that. But then in others, I was more below. So that's normal. No, 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 that I'm kind of most of the time. If you put it up, I'll, you know, I kind of, like, I would find it easy to take responsibility for things, but then I would also feel hopeless. And so I'd be, I would be on the, yeah. So that's where I am. Great awareness, and that's what this is for. What's your personal insight? That's this lady's insight. Sometimes we get stuck on certain things. Some of them we're great at. You're obviously good at taking responsibility. <laughs> um, but maybe get stuck on other things. And by responsibility, it actually doesn't mean being responsible to put the chairs away and, you know, run the home really well or whatever. The behavioral stuff is actually a mindset. If you look at it, it's above-the-line thinking. So it's a mindset of... Not being a victim to something, but I have the ability to respond. Great. Any other observations or questions? We don't have to stay stuck. Yeah. That we can shift, we can consciously. 
our unconscious, we can bring the unconscious into the conscious and decide to shift. I like that. Great. We can shift. That's the good news. We don't have to be stuck. And sometimes we do get stuck and it's really hard to shift. And some of those things we put up there for shifting state can really help. And it might be really practical stuff like exercise to shift state. You know, sometimes exercise, like say you've got a lot of anger, you can run out the anger and you need to physically get it out because actually the amygdala triggers adrenaline and cortisol that helps you fight. And then if you didn't actually physically fight, you've still got all that adrenaline ready for fight. And the only way to get rid of it is something physical. It's not just talking to yourself, mind over matter, I shouldn't feel angry. But I've got all this adrenaline churning around my body. So to go for a run or, you know, do some punch bag stuff or whatever you can do um, can really help to discharge that and shift your state. Great. But a lovely overall message that we can shift state. I find it, it's really wonderful to have a trusted woman friend, a soulmate. Recently, a friend picked me up to go for coffee with her and a couple of others, and uh, <laughs> I just chatted for a few minutes, and she said, oh, my, you're scratchy today, aren't you? <clears throat> and uh, before we went to meet the others, we just parked the car, and I, I just let it all out, and it was, it was wonderful. I think to have a trusted friend is, is a really great way to deal with things. Thank you. Let's use these, you know, just really healthy normal things and if you go back to the neuroscience of it there is neuroscience as to why that helps us because to talk we have to use the neocortex part of our brain so just the process of putting it into words and talking to another human being triggers your neocortex your complex thinking which shifts you out of your amygdala reactive thinking <laughs> Just the talking means you're going into a different part of the brain. And people who've suffered real trauma, it's really difficult to talk, partly because of the shame and also because of neuroscience, that literally that part of the brain that helps us talk has shut down. And, the amygdala, and we're stuck in the amygdala. And that's why some of these other techniques, like writing or art or music, can be a first step if you're not able to put it into words, put it into writing first. But if you can get gradually, step yourself towards talking to a friend like you experienced or talking on a helpline or to a counsellor, um, doesn't have to be a close friend, that process of talking gets you using a different part of the brain that helps to heal it. Wonderful. Well, we're going to stop there so that you've got time for coffee and um, to change states, which is healthy. And um, then there's another series of um, seminars at three, no, four o'clock. Um, they're all being repeated so you can go and catch another one. <laughs>